Good morning, everyone. My name is Steffi, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi. So please let me know if you can't hear me. Just kind of, you know, wave holler. But usually, I'm, I've never been accused of having a... You can't hear me? Oh, wow. Okay. I have never, ever been asked to increase my volume, but I'll try here. Can you hear me better now? Okay. Um, well... Good morning. This is the first time I've ever tried to speak this early in the morning, so it's going to be exciting. Um, for my friends from Los Angeles who know me, I kind of stumble into our 9 a.m. meetings. I, I can't even talk. I, I just kind of sit in the back and drink my coffee, so this will be exciting indeed. Um, it's also extremely exciting for me to see this many OA people this eager, this early. Having, I, I, I don't know how to – I mean, it's just a first for me. Anyway, um, I have been in Overeaters Anonymous for probably, in November, it will be 24 years, I think, and I have uh, 23 and a half years of abstinence right now. Thank you. Thank you. Um, my top weight was probably 50 pounds more than now. And my bottom weight was probably about 30 pounds less than now. So I've been all over the place. Uh, my abstinence is, um, what, what my problem was, was um, sugar. Um, I was never, ever a big meal eater. You know, pasta, pizza, those were never things that ever did it or anything for me. So it, my problem has always been, it continues to be sugar, um, desserts. So I started my abstinence with um, saying no refined sugar, which 23 and a half years ago, there were a lot fewer sugar-free things. But 23 and a half years, I remember when I said no refined sugar, all of a sudden my world of escaping into sugar got a lot smaller very quickly. But I'll get into that um, later. So I'm just going to talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now, the usual format. Um, my, I, I don't, I was a very, very skinny child. I was a ballerina. I was an athlete. Um, they, my parents had a challenge with getting me to eat. Um, I'm an only child, quite loved. Um, I don't think, I mean, I know my, my parents definitely have their dysfunctions, but nothing, no overt, you know, alcoholism or anything in the family. So I really can't tell you where I got this thing. Um, I just know that from my very, very earliest recollections, I always felt less than. I always felt, oh, hey, David. I always felt less than, and I always felt different. And um, so I really firmly believe it doesn't matter how you end up here. It really doesn't matter. I've heard stories of people who talk about they remember eating sugar as, as kids and um, kind of that quieting them down. Um, I don't remember any of that because I just didn't eat. Um, although I do remember that even when I was a little kid, what I did want is exactly what I want today. I always wanted fruit and sweets. Uh, but my parents had a challenge feeding me other things. So um, it really doesn't matter what causes, as far as I'm concerned. Couldn't care less what caused it. I have it. I have it in full force. Um, I started resorting to food as an escape when I was 12, in, um, because in one year, I, I now understand, in one year, three very big things happened. My parents got a divorce. 
they shipped me off to a boarding school out of our country, and, um, and I hit puberty. And all of these things converged, and all of a sudden, I, one day, I remember very clearly, I was buttering some crackers and eating them. And I hate butter. I've never liked butter. I did not understand at that point, why am I doing this? I don't like this. And I couldn't, you know, that, this is 12, and I didn't understand. Um, then I went to boarding school, an all-girls boarding school, and I don't know if any of you have been to a boarding school, but all you do, I mean, your only excitement is chocolate. So girls, you know, girls in a boarding school, I, you know, they're the ones who go after boys, and they do, you know, they go after that, and they're the rest of us who went after food and chocolate. So we snuck out of school and risked getting expelled to go to the store and buy cookies and chocolate, and it was very serious business for us. Um, but again, right there, there's a difference. I now, uh, you know, through Facebook, I'm getting together with all of my high school friends, and a whole bunch of us were pudgy. Um, that's, you know, that we were just teenage girls. But I remember for my friends, yeah, they wanted to lose weight, they wanted to look good, we all read Cosmo, we tried to get the latest diet, but... Uh, it debilitated me. The self-hatred debilitated me. My cousin and I would go back home, and we always hung out together, and would go swimming or water skiing, and we were the same size. She would just nag about it, but do her life anyway. And I would be mortified. I have a T-shirt on. I... Um, I just couldn't function. I hated myself that much, and it was just a torture that only another compulsive overeater can understand. And it really had nothing to do with my body size. Now that I look at the pictures, trust me, I was a lot smaller than a lot of the teenage girls that I see now. But I just hated myself. Um, then I got, still none of this, it, it had no concept that my relationship with food is, is abnormal. But I had all of the stories that every compulsive overeater has. I then became anorexic, and that seems pretty normal, too. Then I came to college um, in this country, and I went from an all-girls boarding school to a co-ed dorm with boys, and I didn't know what to do with that, and, of course, I started eating. Um, so, the, 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 you know, it's just a typical roller coaster of not knowing how to do things and, um, re and resorting to food. cannot remember anything about the best years of my life, college, because all I remember was just I was in Denver, and, um, you know, food, 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 the, the dormitory food, the uh, snack machines. Uh, we'd go skiing with all of my friends to Aspen and Vail, and they would be all day, they would be skiing, and I'd make some excuse so that while they're on the slopes, I could just go to Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory and just eat and eat and eat. So um, it, I'm sure you all understand the hell, but it's, I, it just always helps to talk about it because, it is horrible. I, it's just what I don't think anyone can do to you what you do to yourself. That's the bottom line, or at least for me. And to this day, no one can do to me what I do to myself. Um, still no clue what was wrong with me, just that I ate too much. And then I graduated, came to California, and of course I tried every diet. I tried. Um, I tried. Uh, fat farms, I've tried therapy, I've tried hypnotherapy. Um, I've tried all of it, and essentially all that happened is that I would end up hating myself more. Because you, you know, past a certain point, you understand why you're doing something, you know, with therapy, but 
Why couldn't I do well, now that I understood? Why couldn't I stop myself? And it just led to hating myself even more. Um, I remember at some point I read an article in Cosmo about alcoholics. Um, now, for some reason, I knew about Alcoholics Anonymous, and I can't remember why, and I considered it to be a very, very legitimate organization. I knew it worked for alcoholics. Um, at that time, I didn't think I had any alcoholics in my family. I soon came to find out that I did. But for some reason, I automatically understood the severity of that disease, and that I had a lot of respect for Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I read an article in Cosmo that, talked, and that kind of drew a parallel with overeating and alcoholism and it was the first time that I said yes I can understand this I can relate to this um, this is me and so exactly as they say the seed is planted it was planted I just knew this thing existed but I didn't know I had no intention of going and looking for it um, a very dear friend of mine in Los Angeles at the time you know, she would listen to me, and then um, she was in AA and OA, and she brought me to my first OA meeting. I remember Jack was there, um, Carrie, and a few other people, and I saw Jack, and he said, my name is Jack, you know, whatever, and I used to weigh 345 pounds, and then I looked at him, and that got my attention. Thank you. Is, is this on? Oh. Thank you. Can you hear me now? Okay. So, um, Jack, uh, seeing someone that looked extremely thin and knowing that at one point he weighed 345 pounds and he kept that weight off for, you know, what seemed like an eternity to me actually got my attention. So, that's why, you know, I'd like to give my statistics in the, statistics in the beginning and say it's possible. You, you have, you know, street creds with, with compulsive overeaters when you say that. Um, but I also remember that there was an awful lot of talk of God, and I was like, oh, surely you just. I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't think so. And, it, and it's, you know, I, 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 just, I still marvel at how much we can lie to ourselves, I, to the, and I still do it. Um, it. It was just truly amazing to think that, um, no, I don't think God is going to do it. I don't have time for this. Now, mind you, at this point, I did nothing but go to work and then go stop the grocery store, buy two, get two bags, and then go home and eat it in front of, of the TV. So it's not like I had a full social life. Um, but it was, I just was horrified at the idea that I'm going to sound like all these, that I'm going to rely on God. I've met, I had grown up without any, well, first of all, I did not, there was no distinction between religion and spirituality. And in my family, there was complete disdain for religion and any kind of reliance on God. That was for the poor, uneducated masses where I came from. You don't believe in God? I mean, they, my, my parents believed in God, but just in like, okay, there is a God. This is your religion. This is a prayer. But that was it. Ne ne it never had any kind of a practical application um, in my environment. So I was horribly turned off, but again, as I said, it's, it's so true. I have found everything I've heard in this program to be 100% true. 
true. It, and I hate the fact that my story is so typical. But exactly as it is. I mean, I think we all want to be different. We all want to be somehow unique. I remember when I went to therapy, one of the things the guy told me before I came to OA was, um, you're afraid, you want to be special. You're afraid of being um, the same as everyone else. And I just got furious with him. And I said, what are you talking about? I want to be like everyone else. And I, now that I have many years of abstinence, I see that I go through, no, I actually don't want to be like everyone else. Somehow the rules of the universe should be different for me. It's, I should be exempt. I should be different. Um, but anyway, I digress. So I, 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 I mean, I hated the idea of God. I thought it was hokey, um, but that I, I got it. I just knew that sooner or later I was going to end up there. Um, never went back for about a year. Then I got in a horrible car accident. Um, I was in a hosp- in the hospital for a couple of weeks, um, and then you know I came to from being out. And you know, of course, that's the first question I asked is, "Have I lost any weight?" And yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't you? You know, of course, you want to know. You haven't, you've been on IV for two weeks. Have you lost weight? Yeah, you lose weight if you're on IV for two weeks. So you can imagine. Um, and then uh, I had to walk with a walker for a, a while till um, my insides healed. And I found, and it, these are walkers of, you know, 25 years ago, 24 years ago, not the ones that have a tray. These are the ones that you lift and pick down and lift and put down. And with that, I started gaining weight. So just imagine how many trips I made to the to the uh, refrigerator, and I certainly couldn't carry anything back. But just, it's you know when your insides are broken, it's horribly hard. It's painful to lift your foot with a walker, and I did it enough times to start gaining weight. So I said, okay, I'm gonna have to go back to this goddamn OA thing, yeah. and I did, and I am so grateful that there's no right or wrong way of doing this thing. I remember for the first six months, I would sneak in after the meetings started. I went to the meetings on um, Law Cabin and with Doris and Jean and just, yeah, with, I would sneak in um, afterwards because I didn't want to talk to anyone, did not raise my hand as a newcomer. I just didn't want to touch anyone, talk to anyone. And I would sneak out. Before it ended, um, I didn't want to hold anyone's hands. I didn't know the Lord's Prayer. I, I was just not interested in any of the God part. But I just kept going um, once or twice a week. And then one day, this lovely lady kind of caught my hand. And she said, do you have a sponsor? <laughs> no. Do you want a sponsor? The people pleaser that I am. I said, sure. And um, she uh, so. And I came to find out that she only had 30 days or 60 days or whatever. So um, she said, okay, what is, and we talked a little bit about my food, and I said, my problem is sugar. It is chocolate, it is cookies, it is cakes, it is not meals. I couldn't care less about regular meals. She said, okay, have you ever tried fruit juice sweetened? Have you ever tried, yeah, fruit juice sweetened stuff? I said, no, not really. She said, how about trying to not have, no, I'm sorry. She said, can you not have sugar for one day? I said, absolutely not. There's, there's no way I cannot have sweets for one day. She said, can you not have refined sugar for one day? And, I, and then I asked her a distinction, and she explained to me, yeah, there are some things that are fruit juice sweetened, some things that are honey sweetened, that they just don't have the regular refined sugar. 
I said, I think I can try that. And she took me to Irwan, which is a health food store in Los Angeles. And that's how my abstinence started. It started with no refined sugar, which for this compulsive overeater, it just, it, you know, it was huge. It was huge. And in the beginning, um, my abstinence, it still is no refined sugar. There's no difference. But in the early years, when I wanted something sweet, I, I still had to have my sweet fix. I did not know how to deal with life. So I would go and have a pound of um, fruit juice sweetened granola or three monster, you know, peanut butter cookies with molasses, whatever. I mean, I can't even think of those things right now. I, I would get sick. But I'm, the point here is, is to say you start how you start how you start. You just start. You just start. And my only advice about abstinence, my most important advice about abstinence is it doesn't matter what anyone else eats. Please be honest with yourself and your sponsor. It doesn't do anybody any good. If your problem is not sugar and your problem is bread, it doesn't make anybody, yourself or your sponsor, any good if you pick up my abstinence. Because you couldn't care less about cookies. You're going to sit there and have a bread basket. So please be honest. That's the most important thing. If, you're, if your problem is all of them, it's volume. I, I don't know what it is, but the honesty that they talk about in, step, in all of the steps, it's with yourself more than anyone else. Just, you know, I knew in the early days there were, there were times that I would say, you know, I can't, I, I would have a pound of vegetables, but I would not have an apple because I knew it was going to set me off and I'd go get some more apples. They were all within my abstinence, but it's a question of please just be honest with yourself. That's the most important thing. The other important thing that, that, that I learned um, is, and today it's, it's applicable, my whole recovery has been a series of doing things I don't want to do. All the time, every day, I have to do things I don't want to do. That's the bottom line. To this day, if I had my druthers, I would wake up, have room service in the, in the hotel, and just not stop eating. My fundamental DNA hasn't changed. I, have, I, have, you know, I always say, this, these guys know me, I have very curly hair. And I always say, I, I'm no more capable of waking up and eating normally than I am waking up and having straight hair. I don't. I have very curly hair. So... I, my relationship with food, what I seek out of food, what it does for me to this day, is no different. When I'm depressed, I want a bowl of oatmeal. The only difference is now it's oatmeal and it's not a five-pound bag of M&M's. But my relationship will never be different. And I'm fine with that. You want to know why? Because there are so many people with other diseases that are terminal, which I think ours is, that would give their right arm to have a solution. So I, I don't have any, I don't have room to bellyache about the fact that I've got to get my ass to a meeting or that I need to commit my food or that I have to show up for this. It's just not an option. Talk to someone who has terminal pancreatic cancer. They do anything to have a solu the solution that we do. So, I, so to me, the, the, I have to do what I have to do because there is a proven solution that prevents me from dying prematurely. It's that simple. And if it weren't dying prematurely because my kidneys fail or my cholesterol kills me, it's I would kill myself. I know 
I'm, I'm a usually very happy chipper person. I'm not a depressive kind of person at all. And I know that I uh, considered suicide in college very seriously after a binge. And the only reason why I didn't do it is I had a moment that I thought, oh, my God, what would this do to my parents? It would kill them. And I didn't do it. So this is what food does for me, to me, not for me, to me. I'm perfectly capable of killing myself because I can't stand my guts and that despair. So if there's a solution, you bet your bottom dollar I'm going to seek it out. Now, the other part of it is you don't have to do it perfectly. I haven't done anything in this program perfectly. But as long as, you know, the, the um, AA Step 3 says the key is willingness. And as long as you're p- willing to pick up the key and open the door, all you have to do is open the door. The God, God will take the rest of it. And it's amazing to me how little I have to do and how much God will do if I just do the part, a little bit of the part that's up to me. So I am very, you know, passionate about this. You've got to do something. You can't just sit and wait for the willingness to come. If you're not willing to, um, if you're not willing to give up, I don't know, popcorn. Give up one handful. My sponsor used to say to me, I, you know, I, I have my. Uh, by the way, I just realized I'm talking a lot about food, and I don't know if you're supposed to or not, but too late. <laughs> um, my son, I always used to say to her, at, you know, still in the program, I have a, a sugar-free frozen yogurt. And it's something that rips my stomach apart. I can't stand it. But guess what? I love it, and I have it all the time. And um, what's her face? Um, now I've forgotten her name. Natalie used to say to me, what, can you toss one spoon off the top out? And that became my ritual. I would take, the, you know, I, I get it from the guy, and I just, when I get in my car or before in the trash can, I just take one spoon and dump it in the trash can. If that's all you can start with, start. But you've got to do something. You can't just sit on your ass waiting for the willingness to come. The willingness will come after you do something, however small. Then um, let's talk a little about God. Um, as I said, I had tremendous disdain for the thought, for the word, for the idea, for the reliance, for everything that I heard. And then I read um, in step two of AA, again, when it in the, um, came to believe, there's a part that talks about the scientific ones. And it said, it's actually, we realized we were the ones who were unscientific. And um, I'm paraphrasing, and I'm, I'm sorry I'm gonna, if I mistake, but it said, if we were to remove the blinders, we would see that there's enough evidence to suggest this really works. And all of a sudden, that kind of hit me right here. And I said, I pride myself on science, intellect, science, intellect. And here is something that has a lot of data points to say this solution works. So clearly, my prejudice has, I haven't been quite so scientific. The prejudice has kept me from actually looking at the real data. That phrase in AA 12 and 12 got me. And I said, okay. Then I started to say, maybe, just maybe, if it works for other people, there is a God that can work for me. And I remember two weeks after, um, this was the thing, two weeks after, no, one week after I had started on this um, no refined sugar, this definition, something, I was at the store and it all of a sudden the craving hit. 
and I went to the candy aisle, and I took a bag of M&Ms and put it in my in my uh, in basket, and I said, and I walked, and I said, okay, God, I really don't think you're going to help me with food. It somehow seems such a pedestrian thing. I can understand how you help alcoholics with alcohol, but I don't see how you're going to help with food. But if you're really there, you're going to help me walk out of the store without buying any chocolate or cookies. And I, I think I went up and down that aisle 45 times, put things in and out and in and out. And the bottom line is I walked out of that store without buying any chocolate. And that, it would, that wasn't me. It had never been me. That was totally God. Because when it hit, i got to have it. I, I, you know, I've, I've driven dangerously like a bat out of hell, at the, you know, no less dangerously than, an alcohol, than a drunk with, uh, under the influence in order to get my fix. Don't hurt yourself. So sometimes I've done things that I, I, it truly something protected me from myself and others from me. But um, that's how it started with the food and then other times. And every time there was a first where I thought, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this without food. And I would say, okay, God, if I'm not going to binge over this, you're going to have to help me. And he would, and somehow I would get through things without binging. Uh, without, I'm sorry. I overeat a lot. I mean, there have been occasions where I've taken my comfort in five pounds of cucumbers or a head of cauliflower or, or two bowls of oatmeal. But I got through it without any sugar, the th- I mean, the things that I had committed to. Um, and so very, very, ever so slowly, I started developing this relationship with a God. And, you know, I was working my steps, and I, I still worked my steps. And it's amazing, to, you know, the, the whole idea of write what you want for your God. Um, what I wrote 20-some-odd years ago is very different than what I write now. It was, you know, but it, it's always evolving. I have always found, I don't know, I, I, I'm in awe of this God now. I probably understand him less, but I have 1,000% confidence that this thing that is out there has my back a lot better than I can ever imagine. Um, I have been laid off twice in these um, in this time, both times right before Thanksgiving. And that's the time, and, you know, the, um, I support myself, and both times those were frightening, frightening things. And traditional wisdom always is, you don't start looking for work till the beginning of the year because no one is hiring. And both times I got my after meeting and a friend would say, okay, honey, let me cry that day. Tomorrow you send out one resume and one cover letter. So, you know, and, I, and I was like, but no, you don't understand. I mean, technology, people send out emails uh, to, to their entire database hundreds at a time. They, with, they customize it to say they do this and that. I don't do this and that. And they would say just send one resume and one cover letter a day, and then you get out of the door, that you've done your part. Both times, I got a much better job than the one I had been laid off from before Christmas. Now, this stuff just doesn't happen to normal people. Now, I don't mean to say, I don't mean to, I mean, um, I don't mean to, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying that what you consider to be conventional wisdom is not so conventional in a way in the 12-step program. I, I have seen miracles of, um, of uh, physical health that you don't see out there. 
things that happen to people, you just don't see it out there. Financial um, security or, you know, insecurity. The things that I see all the time. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. So now that it, okay, so here's, here are the, the most important things. My, I am part of the big book that says, um, talks about fear. The fabric of my being is shot through with fear. It is an evil and corroding thread, and it is in every single molecule of my body. I'm no different. Um, at 1,000%. And I talk, I turn every last one of them over to God. And every time a fear comes up, I'm convinced this time, this one, this is it. This is my chance that God is going to say, you know what, honey, you really need to go through this pain. It's character building. It's never happened. I have had 23 years, you know, t t multiply 23 by the 365. There are that many fears that have come up. To this day, not one single one of them has come true. But the next day I'm going to wake up and have a different one. Why am I saying this? This is broken. This is irrevocably broken. This is irrevocably broken. But there is a solution that every single day allows me to have longer and longer periods of peace. That's all I want. I want this to be quiet. It's, you, you all know how exhausting it is to have five conversations at the same time. It really is. It really is to hate yourself more than anything anyone can say to you. And this is the only way I can get quiet, I can get reprieve. Now, in the process, I have, I'm very successful in corporate America. If you, I couldn't have done this. I don't know why I've, what has happened. I've just shown up. I've done things they told me to do. And every time I'm debilitated with fear, I, what does this say to me? Okay, God, I'm going to send this email and trust you're going to take care of the results. God, I'm going to exercise restraint of pain, pen and tongue and you're going to take care of the results. God, this project outline doesn't have to be perfect. I'm just going to do something. That's how I got here. Just this program. I have a marriage to a man that I love to pieces. I just didn't, you know, based on my dad whom I love, but not the best role model ever. I didn't even know this kind of marriage and this kind of man could exist. How do I get it? Just doing what other people who are happily married told me to do. I, did recover, I discovered that I needed Al-Anon. It was humiliating to think after 20 years in the program, I'm still a goddamn nutcase when it comes to relationships. <laughs> it was very humiliating. But you know what? When I ended up going to Al-Anon and really took step one, and that anxiety stopped happening, it reminded me of, my God, when I took step one with food, how... <sighs> I started breathing, and that's when the miracles happened. So I have a huge ego, which doesn't manifest itself in the form of thumping my chest. It manifests itself in me being fearful all the time and thinking that somehow God has something worse in store for me than for everyone else. Somehow God is going to single me out to teach me some lessons to build character. Guess what? It's the manifestation of that same goddamn ego. I, somehow I am different. There's no difference between me and the guy who's, you know, who's something his chest, the drunk who's there um, 
you know, buying drinks for everyone in, in um, arrogance. There's no difference. Just thinking that, but mine is just fear. Somehow my case is different. Everything about me is going to be worse. Um, and I have to work this program very hard. I will do whatever they tell me to do, however imperfectly. However imperfectly, I do it. And then if I just do this much, God matches me tremendous amount. So I have no patience for people who don't do any footwork. I don't. I will not listen to my baby's bellyache and bellyache and bellyache. You've got to do something differently. I've never seen this fail. If you do something differently that you don't want to do, that doesn't make sense to you, but your sponsor tells you to do, it works for everyone. So do something differently. Trust God. Trust your sponsor. But it, you, you've, got to, you've got to be uncomfortable. You've got to be uncomfortable. It's just not going to happen because, it, you know, you serenely ease into losing weight and keeping it off and being healthy. Doesn't happen. Or at least for me, it hasn't happened. But when I've done just a little bit, amazing things that surpass my wildest imagination have. And my, and, um, what else can I say? I just love this program. I love, love, love this program. I, I can't manage my way out of a paper bag without this structure of this program. Without thinking, um, I need to be of service right now. It doesn't matter what I want. I need to be of service. If I were to be a good wife, what would I do? How do I act? And many times, it's a function of writing it down. What does a good employee do right now? And act as if. I'm truly, by acting as if, I mean, I put a smile on my face when I want to flip the bird all the time. You do these things. They may sound funny, but, I mean, you've got to do them every day. You've got to do them, and then it becomes easier. But in my DNA, I'm a hardcore compulsive overeater. I watch The Biggest Loser all the time, and I say, there but the grace of God go I. There but the grace of God go I. Or I would have blown my head before I got there. I'm no different. So I, there is a proven solution. You've got to do it. As I said, there's so many people with terminal diseases that would give anything to have what we have. And it's such a simple, such a low price for getting such reprieve. Uh, am I done? Oh, okay. Thank you for letting me share.